The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. The uh, church at, at Corinth is a, a messed up congregation. You, you know this. We've, we've covered this week in and week out. It is in chaos. The worship gatherings, their times together is, is chaotic. The uh, Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth, specifically here, to bring order to the chaos, to bring order to their gathering together, their worship gatherings. That is the main point of this text. Apostle Paul giving instruction to the church at Corinth so that in their worship gathering there is order and not chaos. Now the Apostle Paul does this by addressing the issues that were plaguing the church there and giving restrictions to these issues and how they're to be used in the worship service. So just a reminder, Church at Corinth, prizing, praising these these spiritual gifts that are showy in nature, especially the gifts of tongues. So much so that it seems, it's pretty clear in the text, that everyone in the congregation is, is speaking in tongues, rattling off these, these tongues. They're, they're counterfeiting the gift and, and it, is, it is producing in the worship gathering uh, a chaos as, as people all over are speaking in tongues and people all over are giving interpretations. And those interpretations, it seems, might even be contradictory. And then who do you believe? And it's just it's chaotic worship that is... Is taking place. So Paul's addressing that to the church. He begins by showing them, as we saw last week, the first part of this uh, chapter, that the gifts of tongues is not primary. It is, at, at, at its best, secondary to the gift of prophecy. Right? So, so Paul writes, he lays out his argument for why tongues is secondary and why prophecy is primary. And his reason is based on the test of edification or building up. That tongues, when you speak in tongues, it does not build up the church. But prophecy, when the word of God is proclaimed, the church of God is built up. That's the litmus test. Let everything you do as you gather together be for the edification, the building up of one another. Tongues doesn't do it. Prophecy does it. Therefore, tongues is secondary. Prophecy is primary. Paul closes this out, this, this thought that tongues is, is secondary, prophecy is, is primary, by saying to the church, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you, church. I'm, I'm not telling you that there isn't a place and a time and a way for there to be Tongues, And there, there certainly was in the church at Corinth. It was an active gift in those days. Personally, I believe, based on the evidence of Scripture, that it is not an active gift today. But in the church at Corinth's day, it was active. There was a place for it. It, it, it maybe could have been needed and certainly probably was needed. But 
it needed to be done in an orderly fashion and in a way that kept with the teaching of the word of, of God. He's saying, just do it. If you're going to do it, do it. But do it properly. Let your worship be conducted in a proper and orderly manner. That's the, the thrust of the text today. And we will see how Paul lays out these issues and how his instructions and restrictions bring order to a worship service and why order in a worship service is important. And we'll pull out things to apply for our own church today. Start looking with me in verse 20. Brothers, Paul says, isn't it interesting that Paul begins what is a pretty harsh critique in the middle of what is a pretty harsh critique, just by a reminder that we are brothers. We are brothers in Christ, the pastoral heart of Paul. I'm not writing you off. I'm not, you know, forgetting about you. I'm not moving on. You're brothers in Christ. This is a pastor, a friend, a brother, writing to a church that he loves. Brothers, he says, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Again, Paul writing to the church, calling the church at Corinth to grow up. You see this instructions in Paul, just, it's just kind of strategically placed throughout these chapters. Grow up, move on to spiritual maturity. You may think that you are mature. And they did think that they were mature because they, they based maturity on speaking in tongues. And so they're, they're, they're counterfeiting the gifts so that people can think they're mature. And Paul is saying, you're not mature. You're children in your thinking. You're elemental in your thinking. You've not moved on in your thinking. It's time to grow up. What Paul is telling them really is the only thing that you are mature in is evil. That what you're doing and the way you're behaving in the church gathering is evil. So don't be children in your thinking, but... Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Isn't it interesting, the, the play on words, the terms that, that Paul uses here? Don't be children in your thinking. Grow up, but, but in evil, I don't want you just to be children. I want you to be infants, right? And I mean, this is, this is a good point. I, I don't necessarily believe that there is a, a hard and fast age of accountability. You cannot find that in, in God's Word you think it's there, I'd love to, to, to hear from you. And no, but an infant, while they are, are born in sin, I, I, I do not believe, I think the scriptures are clear, that, that God will not hold that, that infant uh, accountable for their, their sin nature. They're, before the Lord, pure. So be, be infants in evil. Be purified from it. Don't be children in your thinking. Then Paul moves to teach them, to remind them, to show them 
the main purpose of tongues. So he's just argued that tongues is secondary. This is a church that tongues is everything. He's just argued that that tongues is, is a secondary gift. And so now he's reminding them of the purpose of tongues, mainly that tongues was a sign gift. It was a sign used by God. And it was a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. This is seen in the Old Testament. This is Paul's argument, verse 21. In the law it is written, that's the Old Testament. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me says the Lord. So what Paul is doing here to to teach them what the the, the primary purpose of tongues is, he quotes for them Isaiah chapter 28. He quotes verse 11 verbatim and then the end of verse 12 to remind them how God has used tongues in the Old Testament and how tongues was still used even at the day of Pentecost. So, Isaiah 28, there's some context here that you need to know so that you can make sense of this is a sign for unbelievers and not for believers. So here's what's taking place during these days of Isaiah. The northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Now, as, as Isaiah writes this, It was 705 B.C., so roughly 15 years later. And God is using Isaiah to bring a warning to the southern kingdom of Judah. And the warning is that if they do not repent of their sins, they would be conquered by a foreign army. Isaiah brings this warning from the Lord to, to the leaders and they they're basically just drunk and laugh it off and say, forget it. This warning is that there will be a sign for them and that when this sign comes, they will know that the judgment of God had come. And the sign will be the strange language that they hear. The lips of foreigners is the sign that God will use to speak to unbelieving Israel. That's the context. If you don't repent, you are going to hear a sign of my judgment and it will be a foreign language. Now, they did not listen. They did not repent. And in 586 B.C., they were conquered by the Babylonians. And guess what happened? As the army approached, they heard the language, the babbling of the Babylonians. And it was a sign of the judgment of God on unbelieving Israel. And they were conquered. The sound that they heard... The tongues that they heard was the unbelieving Jews' sign of God's judgment. That's what Paul means when he says that tongues is a sign for 
unbelievers, not for believers. Let's fast forward to the day at Pentecost. The Son of God, the Emmanuel, God in the flesh, murdered, crucified, rejected by Israel. And in Acts chapter 2, when the tongues came, when the unbelieving Jew heard the tongues, they should have seen it as a sign of God's judgment over their unbelief. Both spiritually and literally, as they would be conquered just 30 years later. The gift of tongues, the purpose of tongues was a sign, was a sign for unbelievers of the judgment of God. It is not for believers, but for unbelievers. That's Paul's argument for the purpose of tongues. Verse 22, thus, this is the application of Isaiah. That's the application of the truth. Tongues are, I want you to see that, tongues are, this is Currently, right then, as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, in quoting Isaiah, he's saying, what was true for them is still true for you. Tongues are, not tongues were, tongues are a sign. Not for believers but for unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. The Word of God proclaimed to the people of God is for the children of God, for believers, not for unbelievers. You, you see his, his argument here again of why prophecy is, is primary, tongues is secondary in the church. Tongues used by God as a sign for unbelievers of the judgment of God, prophecy used as a sign for believers for their building up and sanctification. Verse 23, If therefore, because this is the truth, if therefore the whole church comes together. Now, I, I, I like this. The whole church comes together. You know, there's some that maybe believe churches don't need to come together as a whole, but you, you're fine in you know, different you know, home churches or, or whatever, no need just to, to come together. Or, um, you know, you can have multi-site churches and have them all over the place. It seems to be foreign here to the Apostle Paul when the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues. See, this is what's happening. Every person speaking in tongues. And outsiders or unbelievers enter will they not say, that you are out of your minds. They're going to walk in. They're going to see this. They're going to hear this. They're not going to understand anything. They're going to think that you are crazy. You're nuts. This is insane. This is a sign for unbelievers for judgment. They won't understand it. Verse 24, But if all prophecy, if all prophesy... That is, if they proclaim the word of God, that's all that means to speak before 
speak before the people of God, to proclaim the word of God, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is an incredible, incredible two verses. I wanted to preach the whole sermon just on these two verses. Because these two verses showcase the power and the pattern of the word of God proclaimed. I love it. Paul says, if you would prophesy instead, if you would proclaim the word of God instead, then something incredible is going to happen. Something miraculous is going to happen. An outsider, you're speaking in tongues, an outsider's going to walk in and they're going to hear it, they're going to see it, and they're going to think, you people are crazy, and they're out of there, still under the judgment of God. But if you proclaim the Word of God, then the power of God starts to act in their hearts. And something takes place. And then Paul lays out this pattern of what takes place when the Word of God is proclaimed. And he gives five things. They, they walk in, they enter, and the first thing that happens is what? Conviction. He's convicted. Because when the Word of God is proclaimed, along with it is this truth, this realization, this call that you and I, we are sinners and God is holy. You can't proclaim the Word of God without Proclaiming sin. So when they come in, they're going to hear the word of God and they are going to be convicted. They're going to know. They're going to feel. They're going to realize, I am a sinner. And then they're going to be called to account. They're going to be called to account. That means that they're going to realize that I am guilty and that sin brings punishment. They're going to be convicted of their sin and they're going to know that they stand before a holy God guilty and that sin brings punishment. And as this happens, verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. You know what that means? That means that there's a realization that God knows. God knows my sin. And there's also the realization that now I know my sin. Secrets of their hearts are disclosed. They hear of sin, the punishment of sin. Secrets of their hearts exposed before the Lord. And they will realize that they stand guilty before a holy God. And so, falling on his face, what's the fourth thing? It is humility comes. They are humbled before a holy God. They fall on their face before a holy God in the realization of their own sin, the punishment that it brings. And then lastly, they worship God. 
What an incredible pattern of what takes place when the word of God is proclaimed. Conviction of sin, a calling to account of sin, exposure of sin, a humility of the sinner, and the worship of a holy God. This is what happens. This is the pattern of the word of God proclaimed. This is what we experience. This is what we should, church. This is what you should every week pray would happen. That unbelievers would walk through those doors. They they would hear the Word of God proclaimed and they would be convicted. They would be called to an account. They will be exposed in their heart. They will be humbled before God and they will worship Him both in spirit and in truth. You see... How Paul's holding these two things up. You speak in tongues. An, unbecomer, an unbeliever comes in and he laughs. You proclaim the word of God. An unbeliever comes in and he's saved. Church, this is what should happen in church. I hope you realize that. This is what should happen in church. So many churches think, you know, it's important when an unbeliever comes in that they sit down and they laugh, that they find the preacher funny, or that they come in and they, they simply fit in. And we certainly want unbelievers, believers alike, to walk in those doors and to, to feel welcome. But an unbeliever should never walk in those doors and feel comfortable. They should never walk in those doors and... And feel like, man, they they simply fit in. I'm just like the rest of these people. No, there's something markedly different about these people. There's something markedly different about their gathering together. There's something different about their message. There There is clarity and power of this message like I've never heard before. My heart is exposed. I'm convicted of my sins. I'm humbled before God. I worship Him in holiness. What a stark difference of what's taking place in the majority of churches around our nation. Verse 26, Paul says, What then, brothers? Paul's saying, What are you doing? What are you doing? Because that's not what's happening. <clears throat> when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. You know, I used to think that this verse here was Paul teaching if what should take place in a church service. That there should be a hymn, there should be a lesson, there should be a revelation, there should be a tongue and interpretation. This is what should take place. But that is not what Paul is saying here. This isn't Paul teaching them what should happen, the order of a service. This is Paul calling the church out on what they're doing. And the key to understanding that are these, these two words, each one, right? When you come together, each one as a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Here's what that means. That everyone is doing all these things at the same time, and it is chaos. You got a hymn you want to sing? You got a hymn, you got a hymn, you got a hymn, you got a hymn, you got a hymn. And they're all singing it at the same time, different hymns. You've got a tongue, you've got a tongue, you've got a tongue, you've got a tongue, you've got a tongue. They're all speaking it at the same time, different tongues. 
You've got a lesson, you've got a lesson, you've got a lesson, you've got a lesson. They're all giving the lesson at the same time. Oh, you've got a revelation from God, and you've got a revelation from God, and you've got a revelation from God. They're all giving them at the same time. You've got an interpretation. Here's what that means. That means it seems that one would speak in tongues, and there'd be a few people who had interpretations. Well, this is what he said. No, this is what he said. No, this is what he said. Everyone is doing all of these things, and it is chaos. You see what Paul's saying? When the Word of God is proclaimed, these things happen. What are you doing? I'm going to tell you what you're doing. You're coming together, and each one of you is having a hymn, a lesson, a tongue, a revelation, interpretation. It's chaos. That's what you're doing. Instead, these gifts are to be regulated. And so that's what he does in verse 27. He regulates these gifts. He says, listen, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Now, tongues are regulated here. They're regulated really in three ways. First, they're limited in number. But in a worship gathering, there should only be two or three of you that speak in tongues. Two, I'm good with that. At the very most, three, no more. Right now, all of you are speaking in tongues. When you gather together, two at the most, three, limited in number. It's also limited in order, right? You're going to do it in turn. You're each going to take your turn. You're not going to do it at the same time. You're not going to be trying to talk over each other. You're not going to try to outdo each other. Each in turn. And then thirdly, it's limited to an interpretation. You see that word, right? Let someone interpret. So tongues must be interpreted. And it can only have one interpretation, right? Let someone interpret. Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, have you ever read that and thought, well, how would they know? Because in the modern day charismatic church, you know, you give the tongues and then somebody else receives the interpretation. Well, that's not Paul's teaching here, is it? But if there's not someone to give the interpretation, then you don't give the tongues. So how would they know? Here's what that means. That means that the church knew who had the gift, the real gift of interpretation. And if they weren't there, then you keep quiet. That's what that means. Tongues is regulated by the Apostle Paul. It's chaotic. Paul says, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to limit it in number, two or three. We're going to limit it in order, one after the the other, and we're going to limit it to one interpretation, and if it's not there, you keep quiet. But tongues wasn't the only thing that was regulated. Prophecy was also regulated. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Again, limited in number. Two, at the most, three. Limited in order. Not all at the same time. Now, how do we know that? So the others can weigh what is said. And then thirdly, it is limited by the others. Whether it is true or not. So someone's going to, if a prophet is going to give a prophecy, they're to do it in front of the other prophets, and those other prophets are to hear it and are to weigh what is said. Whether it squares with the Word of God or not. Prophecy is regulated. Prophecy is limited, just like tongues. 
But prophecy is also limited in priority. Look at the next verse, verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Here's what that means. Now, this is, this is really important because it makes the point that we've been making the whole time. And that is that prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is not just revelatory. But it's the proclaiming of God's word. You see the difference, right? There could be a prophet giving a prophecy. But if revelation comes, new revelation, that prophet is to sit down and be quiet because the new revelation from God takes priority over the the teaching on an already given revelation. That's the point here. Everybody see that? And that shows us that prophecy is not just revelatory. So here's what happens. If you have a, someone standing up and giving a, a prophecy, a teaching on the Word of God, and a prophet, a, a, a prophet receives direct revelation from God, then he's to stand up and say, Excuse me, I just received a revelation. And that prophet is to gladly sit himself down under the authority of the revealed Word of God, and that person bring the revelation of God. Now, if you were to say that today, Jason, I got a revelation... You need to sit down. We would kindly show you to the door. We do not believe that God is still giving revelation. It has already been given. We must contend once and for all for the faith given to the saints. But it was still active in the church at Corinth. It was still active there. So you see what Paul's doing here. You're chaotic. All this is going on. It's all going on at the same time. You're going to stop it. You're going to do do tongues this way. You're going to do prophecy this way. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Paul says, listen, you can all prophesy. Now, anybody think, wait a minute, I thought you said only two or three. Because I thought that, I read that, I thought, wait a minute. Paul just said, if anyone's going to, Gonna, you know, if a prophet's going to speak, only two or three. But then he just says, everybody can prophesy. So how do those two things square? That was my initial thought. I had to do some closer reading here, and here's what I realized, that this is the difference in the use of the gift and the office of the church. That there's a difference in the office of a prophet and the prophecy of a believer. That the office of a prophet to stand as... as that office holding that position in the local church, which was an active position there, that those men, two to three of them in a service, that's it. But if you want to declare the word of God where you are, then you can do it, so, but do it in order so that everyone can be built up. Everyone can be encouraged. You see the difference there? I believe that's what Paul has in mind. And in verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That can sound confusing. Here's what that means. That a real prophet, the, a real prophet of God can control himself. That's what it means. It's not one of these, oh, I just received it. I got to get it out. I can't stop and do nothing. No, a real prophet of God can control it. 
The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The prophet can control it in order, rightly. You see, Paul's Paul's heading off this argument of, well, we can't help it. When it comes, it comes, and we can't control it. No, you can control it. The spirit of the prophet, subject to the prophet. And then verse 33, the key to this entire section For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Why is order in a worship service important? Why is what you are doing, church, evil? It is because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the way you're acting is displaying to the world confusion. And they're seeing you, and they're tying God to it. And they're thinking God is confusing. But God is a God of peace. God is a God of of order. He's a God of order. That gives understanding to what came before it. Why these regulations are needed. That also informs... The issue of women in church because it's an issue of order. As in all the churches of the saints, I'd really like to know why that's put in verse 33. It really doesn't belong there. It belongs in verse 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in churches. Now I'm out of time. Jacob's going to preach this next week. Just kidding. What is this issue of of women? Women should keep silent in the church for they're not permitted to speak. But they should be in submission as the law also says. And if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a, a woman to speak in church. Now, some will say that this is wholly and completely a cultural thing. Just for the church at Corinth. And I would say yes and no. I would say yes because it seems that there was this particular problem in Corinth. That in the church at Corinth there seems to be an issue with certain women. And so Paul's writing to address that. But this is not just a cultural thing limited to Corinth. Now, how do I know that? Because of what he says. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in church, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So what do we do with this? What does it mean? Now, it would feel good and it would be socially acceptable to say that this is just a cultural thing and it no longer applies. But we run on dangerous ground when we decide on our own what applies still and what doesn't. You see, this issue is an issue of order because God is a God of order. It's an issue of the created order of things by God. It's an issue of 
the order of creation. It is not that a woman is less than a man, so she's got to be quiet. It is not that a woman is less important than a man, so the man can speak and she sits there and quiet. This is not that a woman should not speak at all. I do think this is that a woman should not interrupt. I think that was a cultural thing happening in Corinth. I think that still holds true today. But not just a woman, but a man too. It's not a good thing to to interrupt. There are probably, in my estimation, three of us who could interrupt a sermon whenever we felt was needed, and that would be your elders. We're, we're charged to protect the, the teaching and the doctrine of the church. And so if there was ever someone standing in the pulpit preaching something that was false or against God's word, you better believe one of the three of us, we're going to interrupt. I'm, they're free to interrupt me anytime. That I say they can't. No, anytime. And that's elders, that office restricted only to men. Well, this is certainly that we shouldn't interrupt. This is absolutely that they should not teach or preach. This is not the only place that holds this as what the Word of God teaches. This is that we should all follow the order of God. That there should be in our gatherings together a reflection of the creative order of things. That's the the truth throughout all of the scriptures. It's not that man is better. It's not that man is worth more. It's not that that man is, is more important. It is that God created man. Then He created woman. God gave men certain roles. God gave women certain roles. And we are to joyfully submit to those roles as given by a sovereign God. And those roles of order should be reflected in our worship gathering. There was disorder in Corinth. There should be order here. Things done in order. John MacArthur says it this way, that the gathering of the church should reflect the character of God. How we gather together, how we interact, what we do, when we do it, how we do it, should be a reflection of the very character of God. And if there is chaos, if there is disorder, if there is rejection of the created order of things, then we are reflecting poorly on the character of God. But when we come together, if we do it in reverence, and we do it in honor, and we do it with order, and we do it with respect, then we reflect to the world around us the character of God because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. You just wanted to nutshell it. Here it is. Your worship time together, it is not a free-for-all. This is not a free-for-all. This is not a time for chaos. This is not about you. 
It's not about your wants. It's not about your desires. It is not about me. It is not about my wants. It's not about my desires. It is not this, I wish it was this way, so I'm going to make it this way. Instead, it is God is a God of order. Our worship time together will be a time of order. We will reflect the character of God as we gather together in all things. Does that make sense? Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Now, see, here's Paul's just, he's just given all this teaching. And he knows they're, they're going to want to push back on this. And, and, and we'd like to push back on this. And so he says, or was it from you the word of God came? You know what Paul's saying there, right? It weren't from you. It was from me. Or are you the only one that it has reached? You're the only one that's got this. Because it's like this in all the other churches, except for yours. So are you the only one that's received this from God? I don't think so. Verse 37, if anyone thinks he's a prophet, or he thinks he's spiritual, remember they all thought they were spiritual. He should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. You see what Paul's doing here? This is an argument of authority. These things I'm writing to you come from God. If you think you're a prophet or you think you're, a, you're spiritual, then you ought to know this. You ought to know this is from God. I love this verse because you know what? There are some people who say, if it ain't in red, I ain't believing it. You know what I'm saying? And not what Paul says here. Everything I've just written to you comes from the Lord. And if you're a prophet or if you're spiritual, then you ought to know it. And if anyone does not recognize it, this comes from the Lord, guess what? He ain't recognized. He's not recognized as a prophet. He's not recognized as spiritual. Don't even give him a platform. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, earnestly desire to proclaim the word of God because in the proclamation of the word of God, miraculous things happen in the hearts of unbelievers. And don't forget, forbid the speaking in tongues. Just do it in order, right? But all things should be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. What a good reminder for us this morning of what is to take place as we gather together. What is the purpose of our, our gathering together? The reflection of the character of God through the people of God, to unbelievers around us. That how we behave when we gather together, how we act, how we respond to one another is a reflection of the God that we serve. So may all that we, be, all that we do, may it be done decently and may it be done in order so that God is proclaimed to those around us. And I hope that we will always, always desire the proclamation of the Word of God as primary. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.